Have you heard of the package Rich? This library allows you to create, well, rich terminal-based UIs in Python. When you think of what you can typically build with basic print statements, they may seem quite limited. But with Rich, imagine justified tables, progress bars, rendering of markdown, and way more. This is one of the fastest growing projects in the Python space these days, and the creator, Will McGugan, is here to give us the whole history and even a peek at the future of Rich and a follow-on library called Textual. This is Talk Python to Me, episode 336, recorded October 13th, 2021. Welcome to Talk Python to Me, a weekly podcast on Python. This is your host, Michael Kennedy. Follow me on Twitter where I'm at mkennedy and keep up with the show and listen to past episodes at talkpython.fm and follow the show on Twitter via at talkpython. We've started streaming most of our episodes live on YouTube. Subscribe to our YouTube channel over at talkpython.fm slash YouTube to get notified about upcoming shows and be part of that episode. This episode is brought to you by Shortcut, formerly known as clubhouse.io, and us over at TalkPython Training. And the transcripts are brought to you by Assembly AI. Will, welcome to TalkPython to me. Thank you. It's fantastic to finally have you on the show. I feel like we've talked a lot about the work that you've been doing many times, not so much on TalkPython because we're more focused on a single topic. But even so, I believe, you know, at the end, I always ask for some project that needs attention, needs some sort of shout out. And, you know, I believe Rich has come up more than once. I think textual has come up at least once there. So the prior guests of the show have been fans and I know the audience is a big fan. So yeah, congrats on all the progress there. Great. Thanks. Yeah. um, Really appreciate the coverage. Uh, You probably increased my star count by a few thousand. (laughs) Well, I I do want to talk about that because this project is super popular. And as we get into it, I think it's going to be fun to explore some of the things that you felt were key to that. And Mm. if this is the first time people are hearing about Rich, you definitely want to check out some of the screenshots. Maybe I'll do something fun, like make part of the show, have the the show notes or the the podcast player have some screenshots from the various sections, like as as there, I'll see if I can make that happen. Mm. But before we get to all that, before we dive into Rich and Textual and all the other things, let's talk about you. How do you get into programming and how do you find yourself doing all this open source Python? Um, how to get into programming? Oh, okay. So as a, as a kid in the 80s, I guess, I had a Spectrum 48K computer. It was a little plastic thing you plugged into your TV and you could create very simple animations and, and uh, little games. And I think I think from there I was hooked. Oh, fantastic. That's just something about me that connected with them um, with programming, I guess. What's interesting is those games were so basic, right? They weren't like yeah. 3D VR, oh my no. gosh, I'm there, no. or some of the flashy even the flashy uh, mobile apps, uh, mobile games these days. But something about those early, early games really captured the imagination, didn't they? Yeah. And the fact that they were so limiting had to make you a little bit creative, sort of encourage creativity because um, you couldn't do much of anything. So you had to make the best of what you got. So it encouraged you to to experiment. And I think it was a great way to get people into programming again. I think until, until recently, we haven't had that. And I think the Raspberry Pi does that to some extent, which is a great thing. Yeah, it yeah. sort of reaches out into the real world in a more simplistic way, kind of uh, repeating that cycle, right? Yeah, yeah. And it just allows people access to programming in a, a very kind of accessible form for, for children, I guess. So yeah. I think I think the next generation in 20 years will be 
citing Raspberry Pi is how they got into programming. Interesting. Yeah, I built a robot the first time around or something like that, right? Yeah. yeah. Instead of instead of I wanted to play a game or script a game out or something like that. Mm. Interesting. And, you know, a lot of times I ask people, okay, well, what are you doing now? They're like, oh, I'm, you know, head of data science at company such and such. You've taken a, a very uh, interesting, and I suspect a lot of people will be quite uh, jealous of what mm. you're up to these days, right? What are you doing now? Yeah. Um, so up until recently, I was contracting. By end ended my contract, and I'm going to take a year out. Um, well, possibly a year. Depends how much. It depends. Depends how things go. But mm. the idea is to to work on open source, specifically rich and and textual. There are other projects that take my fancy as well. Anything that I can contribute to, might try my hand at it. It's not entirely selfless because I do think there might be commercial applications for textual down the line. Mm-hmm. Um, but certainly for this first six months, it'll be just focusing on just making it the best, best, um, it super, super solid can, foundation. Yeah. Mm. yeah, absolutely. Well, I don't think it, I don't think it's going to take that much to to get some things in place to make this long term for you. You know, people can go if, if their company or individually they're finding huge value, they could go to mm. GitHub and sponsor you. There's enterprise stuff that, that can be set up. We'll, we'll dive a little bit into that more mm. possibly later as well. But I wish you a lot of luck. But I think with the, the traction that you're getting and the new things like I, I really find GitHub's sponsor feature to be something of a game changer. Yeah. I remember looking back, you would see, oh, here's a popular project. Maybe it's not even an open source library, but it's like an app. And it's like, click here to thank the developer on PayPal. Right. And just there was a little bit of a, a barrier to, to, to entry. Yeah. And maybe you do it once. Right. But but with GitHub, you can say, I, I just kind of want to say, I want this to keep going. So here's mm. here's two dollars a month. And if, you know, not that many people who find it valuable, send in a couple of bucks a month. All of a sudden it starts to be a foundation that you can really build from. Yeah, it, it could um, build up and be something which is sustainable and sustain open source because so many people benefit from open source, including big companies, big corporations yeah. but a lot of these developers are, are doing it in their spare time for the love of it and they they haven't asked for funding before but a lot of them that deserve funding certainly yeah. lots of projects which could, could really use funding to to make sure they keep going to make sure that the software that we all use is still available in, in a year in two years and five years down the line yeah yeah otherwise we're going to end up in a place with like open ssl there's yeah. one person who maintains it and a quarter of the world seems to be built directly upon it, right? Remember that book? Yeah. yeah it was it was a huge problem. Heartbleed was it called? Which is it hmm? Heartbleed? Yeah, the Heartbleed, SSL that's bug? right. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Which is a great name and for a bug. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. Why wasn't this fixed? Well, there's one person who does it in mm. their spare time, but everything depends on it. Yeah, but there's still one person who does it in their spare time. Yeah. And yeah, yeah it's just really hard to put that kind of energy and responsiveness into it. Mm. All right, fantastic. So... Let's start with textual, which I had on the screen, but let's start with rich. Rich mm. is where things got started amongst rich and textual, right? If I remember the history. Yeah, rich was, was first. That's about two years ago that I started that, yeah. Yeah, cool. So tell people, you know, a lot of people have heard of rich, mm. but maybe tell folks out there, how would you describe it? You know, it's we've had ways to sort of print stuff nicer. We've got pretty print mm. Python. We've got Colorama where you can put color into your, your terminal, but this takes yeah. it to an absolutely new level. So tell us, <laughs> tell us about Rich. Yeah, um, that makes it difficult to describe sometimes when people ask me what it does, because it does quite a lot of things. Um, but it's all under the umbrella of writing more sophisticated output to the terminal. At the basic level, it's you can set colors and you can set styles like bold, 
an italic the next level up it'll do word wrap and it'll also word wrap the the styles so you can apply bold and then then word wrap it and then we have things like tables there's quite sophisticated table support which are quite close to html tables you can you know yeah. Put things in cells. You've got a header row, you've got a little divider, and then you've got the data. Yeah. It, yeah. And then you can draw lines and, around it and change the styles. And um, it's, it's all. Yeah, um, you even have like alternating rows, right? So it kind of helps you yeah, line yeah, it across, you, which is pretty neat. Exactly. Yeah. So it, it's, it's quite sophisticated. It's all composable. So if I've got a table, um, I can obviously put text inside it, but I can put another table inside it, or I could put a progress bar inside it, or syntax highlighting inside it. So the idea is that um, rather than like uh, lots of separate libraries which don't work well together, which I think was a situation that we had previously, now they all work together, they fit inside each other, and they integrate quite well. Right, so you could take your formatting and put it in your word wrap and put it inside of a table cell or something like that? Exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So one of the things that struck me, well, there's a couple things, but one of them is just how popular Rich is, right? It's almost 30,000 GitHub stars. That's mm. that's close to fast API level of popularity and, and not that far behind Flask and Django. Mm. That's really, really popular. When did you create this? Two years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So I guess on the timeline, similar age to fast API, but much younger than Flask and Django, uh, if I'm comparing them to those. And mm. over here, it says on your page, you have 2 million downloads a month. That's pretty incredible. Yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty crazy. I think um, quite a few of those are automated They're from CI systems. Yeah, yeah. But I do see that, that rising quite, quite steadily. Yeah, I wonder how many of the CI systems just in general out there do caching at some mm. level where it wouldn't register, right? You know, if I pip install a thing I've already installed and it's a certain version, I'll just say using cached version, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? Versus... If you create a brand new Docker image and then the next thing you do is install your, you know, pip install your dependencies inside mm. of your Docker, that's a true download, right? Because that machine is totally fresh. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's hard to tell. Yeah. I, I don't know. Do you have any feel for what that breakdown is? Um, to be honest, I'm not sure. That site doesn't give you the, the breakdown. Uh, to be honest, what I would be interested in is, is how many developers typed pip install rich yeah. in that, that month. You know, how many human beings played with it? That would be, interest me more. But suffice to say, quite a lot of people have used it. It is quite a lot. Downloading it, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure it's changed the way that you think about working on the library and whatnot, right? You know, it's, mm. oh, maybe that this might, might destabilize, this might cause a problem or this might yeah. cause confusion. It's one thing to do that for a thousand people. It's another to do that for two million. <laughs> That's right. Like and that, right? It's, I am. Um, you're going to hear follow, about it, I bet. I, absolutely. I, I didn't follow Semver very strictly original, originally. I always planned to use uh, Semver and people started using it, and I made I made a breaking change. And I didn't think anyone was using this particular feature, so I didn't increase the the major version number. And then um, a couple of days later, I I got an issue, someone telling me off, uh, quite rightly so. Oh man, for for not warning them about a breaking feature. So since then, I've been very very strict. It's at version ten, and that's because I've made ten changes, breaking changes to the API. They're actually quite small. You know, it might, might just be one signature and, and one method, but that requires a, a major version change. Right. But at that scale, obviously, that yeah. still could affect enough people. You're going to hear about it and, and whatnot, right? Exactly. I, I don't want to break anyone's code. I don't want to give them a bad day. So um, I'm very Absolutely. strict about that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah fantastic. Mm-hmm. And also people should pin their versions, right? Mm. <laughs> so uh, on the on the flip side, they, they mm. can also 
make sure that what they're working on is is nice and stable, right? Yeah, a lot of people don't. I, I do search GitHub sometimes for Rich, and I look at their PyTumble. Was it? Is that PyProjectTumble? Yeah, yeah. mm-hmm. PyProjectTumble. Yeah, yeah, and and a lot of people don't pin pin their Rich Vash number. It'll just be Rich, and yeah, it shouldn't break too much. And and often it's a hobby project, so it's it's not not the biggest deal, right? It really it really depends. Like it's one of the things I struggle with. So I do a lot of course development, right? Mm. And I don't necessarily want to pen people to the oldest version. I'd rather let them have the newest stuff so it exactly matches the documentation. If they go check mm. it these days and stuff, if they go back, you know, six months and watch the video or mm-hmm. check out the demo app. But at the same time, there's a chance of that instability. There's always this tension, right? And I guess it mm. depends on what the use case of of that app or that library is. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's tricky to say. The less um, critical it is for your business um, or your project, the more you can relax. If it's a tutorial, maybe it doesn't yeah. matter quite so much. But if it's um, critical infrastructure, uh, right. then you want to pin. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. For my web apps, versions are pinned, super strict. Mm-hmm even the dependencies of the dependencies, like the transitive closure of the dependencies are all pinned yeah. on like little demo apps and stuff. Like it's just wide open. So I, I think it mm. it depends. All right. So uh, out in the audience, we have Hybotic says, Will, this looks really good to me. I'm looking at your repo now. So not everyone <laughs> has previously heard of Rich, which is mm. awesome. Oh, it's good to know there's a few, few people <laughs> left. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I, mm. I suspect there's actually a lot of people so who haven't heard it before. Again, check out the screenshots because if you think, oh, here's something that co- sort of enhances terminal output, that completely undersells the the level of what you've pulled off here. And that's only before we even talk about textual, right? Mm. Let's talk about compatibility because one of the things I find with these sort of nicer terminal output things is like, this works fantastic on POSIX systems. Oh, but you better mm. not be on Windows. Or mm. uh, if you're a data scientist, you like Jupyter Notebooks, you can forget about it. But if you really want to mm. run this thing, like, so what's the story? Like, where can I use this? Just about everywhere. Linux, OS X, Windows, and Jupyter. It was started out, it was Linux, OS X, because that is the easiest platform to develop this kind of stuff for. Mm. Windows is a bit of a black sheep. Um, it didn't quite work as is. Windows is getting better though, right? I mean, when it was cmd.exe, it mm. was like, oh boy, this is really different. But the new Windows terminal, I'm really digging it. You know, mm. the the new PowerShell, the things like, oh, my posh extensions, I can feel much more at home on Windows on the terminal than I used to. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the new Windows terminal is, is much better. Rich doesn't have to do quite so many, um, doesn't have to jump so many hoops to get Windows support. In fact, um, it just runs kind of as is. It still supports the older Windows terminal, which does have a few issues. It doesn't, it has very limited colors. That's brave. Yeah. But I guess you, maybe you want to, right? If, if you're going to give the app to somebody, you can't really package up the terminal they're going to run it in. So you probably want to exactly. have your best possible experience on, to be honest, most people are still going to be running cmd.exe, even if they shouldn't. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I could just tell them to install Windows terminal, but that kind of goes against the ethos of this library. I just want it to work so that people don't have to think about what it runs on. Yeah. Put a lot of work initially into. Yeah. So Linux, Mac OS and Windows with good support for the new Windows terminal, very mm. limited support for the old command prompt. That's still pretty good. That's still pretty I good. Think, I, I yeah. think it's fantastic, actually. I mean, mm. If people are really passionate about their terminal and they're on Windows, they probably know about Windows terminal anyway. So they're probably That's good. true. Yeah. The one that I thought was interesting and nice is uh, Jupyter Notebooks. Mm. What's the support there? Um, so it works 
quite quite well. So I wasn't a big Jupiter user um, at the time. I was obviously aware of it, but I didn't use it myself. And and people asked me for Jupiter support, and I thought it doesn't do that. It just works in the terminal. But then I, I looked into it, and it wasn't too bad because I already had functionality to export terminal content to HTML. Um, so I could put a little wrapper around that, um, export it to HTML, and then insert it into uh, Jupyter. That they've got an API which allows you to write content into a notebook. And so I nice. got I got Jupyter support up quite quickly, quite easily, and it, it works quite nicely. Which people appreciate. It means that you can write code which writes to terminal mostly. But if you do happen to run it in a Jupyter notebook then it'll yeah, write the same just, thing there as well. It just knows, it deter- detects that it's running in the Jupyter yeah. environment, and then it just, yeah. all right, output is not print, output is generate HTML. Exactly, yeah. And Jupyter does has, have support for that. It will capture standard output, and it will um, convert the colors and everything. But the problem is it wrapped the, the lines, so if you expanded the window, it would break any kind of neat formatting. If you've got like a, a grid or a table, it would break that. So I had to, I had to do the HTML export within rich as well yeah basically most anywhere people do python with a ui of some sort this this works is the takeaway yeah this portion of talk python to me is brought to you by shortcut formerly known as clubhouse.io happy with your project management tool most tools are either too simple for a growing engineering team to manage everything or way too complex for anyone to want to use them without constant prodding shortcut is different though because it's worse. No, wait, no, I mean, it's better. Shortcut is project management built specifically for software teams. It's fast, intuitive, flexible, powerful, and many other nice, positive adjectives. Key features include team-based workflows. Individual teams can use default workflows or customize them to match the way they work. Org-wide goals and roadmaps. The work in these workflows is automatically tied into larger company goals. It takes one click to move from a roadmap to a team's work, to individual updates, and back. Type version control integration. Whether you use GitHub, GitLab, or Bitbucket, Clubhouse ties directly into them so you can update progress from the command line. Keyboard-friendly interface. The rest of Shortcut is just as friendly as their power bar, allowing you to do virtually anything without touching your mouse. Throw that thing in the trash. Iteration planning. Set weekly priorities and let Shortcut run the schedule for you with accompanying burndown charts and other reporting. Give it a try over at talkpython.fm slash shortcut. Again, that's talkpython.fm slash shortcut. Choose shortcut because you shouldn't have to project manage your project management. Just going back to the pip pinning version stuff, uh, Wayland on the live stream says pip compile. Uh, pip tools is a game changer for pin dependencies and pip compile specifically for managing pin de- uh, dependencies. That's yeah. what I've switched to as well. Yeah. So I just run a, Script checks for all the new versions, regenerates all the pip compiled stuff, and it's I'm really enjoying that. I think that's fantastic. Okay, I've not used pip compile to check that. Out. All right, you basically define like a requirements file that has what you actually have would have pip typed pip install, and then it will generate a requirements.txt that is the transitive closure of all of those dependencies which are pimped pinned, and then you can ask any time for it to update the versions, the pinned versions of that. Okay, is that like um? Poetry's lock files. I think it's similar, yeah. Mm. I'm not 100% sure, but I think so. Mm. All right, so let's talk about various features here. I think just going through, I mean, we've touched on them, but let's dive into it a little bit, maybe talk a little bit about the code you write. So Kim Van Wyck is here to kick us off on the first one. Uh, Try something as simple as from rich import print in your next project, and you will be amazed. (laughs) 
<laughs> so <laughs> will tell us why we'll be amazed like what what's this alternate print when i first wrote this as a as a console class you have to construct a class and that's got a, a print method um but i figured i could just overwrite the existing the built-in print because it's a it's a function in python 3 i can just replace it with my own version so that's what i've done here i'll give there's a, a version of print you can import from rich which has the same signature as a built-in print but it supports the console markup so you can insert these little square brackets um with a with a style like here we've got bold magenta and it'll do emojis colon vampire colon and these uh styles like the square bracket bold magenta mm. slash bold magenta this is specific to rich this is something that you came up with yeah that's right yeah, it's, okay. it's called um i call it console markup and the syntax is very bb code like i don't know if you ever used bb yeah. code mm -hmm. yeah it's, it's quite simple it's just like a, a markup where the the tags have square uh, brackets yeah i like this a lot because one of the things that i'll use a lot still is um which maybe i need to start switching to what you're doing here is colorama but mm. for colorama you'll you'll do things like you'll import the foreground settings or styles and then you can say foreground dot green mm. plus the text yeah foreground reset to go back mm. to normal but you don't have the bold and then all of that stuff has to happen in code right if i wanted mm -hmm. to say import some text and then show it on the screen that text could have these styles in it right that's right yeah so you can um, embed it in code easier or read it from a file etc and i think it's a bit easier to read rather than doing lots of um string concatenations and also the benefit over the colorama approach colorama is a very good bit of software i've relied on it for years uh, but the problem is when you concatenate strings like that you insert these ANSI codes once you've built that string you can't do anything with it really you can't word wrap it you can't format it so with with console markup you can do you can mark up bits of text with color and style etc and then you can further do um operations on them like word wrap and centering text and putting it inside the table etc right two other things that jump out here that are interesting is you have emoji support mm -hmm. so you can say colon vampire colon which is yep. pretty awesome mm -hmm. you can you can technically if the file format supports it you could actually put a, a vampire emoji in the string yeah but it's still kind of nice that you have this sort of emoji lookup right exactly because um if you want to insert the Unicode character, you'd have to go and find it and then cut and paste it. Yeah, but this exactly. way you can just do colon. You can set that into console markup, just colon vampire colon or colon smiley colon. I think there's a couple of thousand emojis you can use there now. Fantastic. Mm. Then another thing that jumps out is you're printing hello, bold magenta world. So that's the word world, bold and magenta, <laughs> and then the vampire. <laughs> but then you're also printing out a dictionary and yeah. the dictionary is like pretty printed but also syntax highlighted so if you print a container like it like a dictionary a list or like an atomic python type it'll run the pretty printer over it so it will format it in kind of the style that people like in code you'd probably format this is how black would format it so it looks much the same then it runs mm -hmm. the syntax highlighting over it there's a few regular expressions so in rich you can say anything between two quotes is is a string and therefore it's green anything in, in angular brackets is a, is a tag like thing so i'll i'll bold the brackets and change nice. the tag name to bright red or whatever it is and so that the output you get is quite readable and looks like something that came out of vs code or, or your editor mm -hmm. yeah 
the more I look at this, the more I think maybe just every project, I'm going to follow uh, Kim's advice and just from rich import print because, you know, why not, right? This looks, mm. it has all this cool auto formatting. Does it look actually at the type that it's printing to make any determination or does it just look and see if it's source code and then try to format it? Um, it looks at the, at the type. Like, like if, it's, if it gets a dictionary or it gets mm. an object versus getting it like a true string. It'll do both. It'll syntax highlight a, a string. But if, if it's a container, if it knows the, the type, it'll do some syntax highlighting there. Um, there's also a, a simple protocol you can add to your own objects if you want them pretty printed and formatted. Oh, okay. But Not Dunder Stir or Dunder Repper. But something else, Dunder Rich. It is Dunder Rich Ripper. <laughs> right like that, you can specify the base, the arguments and parameters and uh, the indentation. It'll render something that's very much like a pretty printed dict. That sounds like something that would be fantastic to add to some intermediate library that people use. So I sure I could create a class and add it to mine. But so often what I want to do is print out a Mongo engine model or a SQL alchemy mm. model or a Pydantic model. Yeah. Pydantic could add that or, you know, I mean, like these like intermediate or SQL alchemy could add mm. something like that and go, oh, this is how you, you know, describe like this one has an index and, and mm. whatnot. I think that'd be fantastic. Yeah. So I've, I've added to, to Atters. So it'll pretty print objects from the Atters library. I have a, a PR for Pydantic. Pydantic as well. So right hopefully yeah. in the future, you print a Pydantic object and it'll format it quite similar to the, the built-in data structures. Yeah. Okay. Fantastic. Yeah. I love it. So before we move on to this, I do want to talk about some other things because we're just scratching the surface here. But one of the things that I think has both impressed me and you know Brian and I over on Python Bytes on our podcast we do there, we've been continuously impressed at how fast you're adding new features <laughs> and still kind of keeping the the ethos of this mm. library together. So how, maybe give people a little hint on just the velocity here. Like, how's that work? Well, I'm, I'm not convinced that it's been that fast. I mean, bear in mind, Rich is... It, it felt like a lot of work. It didn't feel that fast. <laughs> when I add new stuff to Rich, um, I'm not starting from scratch. Mm. There's several layers which are already built and well-tested. The, the bit that I add... Um, might not be as large as it maybe it looks. I see. So you've already got a lot of um, structure and architecture that makes adding a new feature yeah. from scratch sort of thing, right? So a good design, basically. I hope so, yeah. And it seems to be working quite well because, um, you know, I did build a core feature set and then I added some things to it. And, and admittedly, those things came quite fast because it wasn't that hard to to implement. Sure. And I've got to a point now where Rich is um, is quite large. I'd be resistant to adding any more stuff to it unless it is very useful for like a, a broad selection of users. Sure. Do you have a sense of how many lines of code it is? I know you don't mean large in that sense. You mean large in sort mm. of feature set, but do you have yeah. a sense of how many lines of code? Uh, you know what? I've never checked. <laughs> I, I couldn't <laughs> Maybe guess. Maybe by the time we're done with this uh, recording, someone out in the audience will have like already downloaded and checked for us. Who knows? Probably, All right. Yeah. So the next thing let's talk about is the REPL. Mm. So I can create a REPL read eval print loop by typing the word Python on the terminal. And that opens it up, but it's it looks just, it's probably the least possibly good experiences you can have in Python, right? There's no color, there's no, in, there's no feedback on sort of what's happening, right? But then I could say from rich import pretty, pretty.install, and then all of a sudden, basically the output of the, the REPL, like if I set a variable name, it'll print it out, like that becomes rich printed right mm -hmm. that's right yeah yeah so um yeah you, you call pretty dot install and then everything you put into the after the prompt will be pretty printed so previously if you printed a, a dict without 
rich. It'll just um, smush it onto a few lines. It's, it's quite hard to right. visually it's, parse. It's all one line except for the word wrapping, which doesn't even break on words. And there's yeah. zero color, right? So Yeah, exactly. So it's, it's quite difficult to read. I'm quite a visual person, so I always had difficulty with this. If it was more than two lines, it'd be quite difficult for me to figure out where the keys and the values are. But if you do it with rich, it'll pretty print it onto lines and it'll indent it like you would code and then it'll highlight it. So it makes things just much more readable. Yeah. A lot of people will put it in their startup file so they just get this ripple by default. Oh, interesting. Yeah, that's a good idea. Have you tried this on the more advanced ripples like PT Python or BT Python or those where you kind of get an Emacsy or Vim experience? Mm. I haven't. No, I've tried it on iPython and it works quite nicely on on iPython, but I haven't tried it on other Yeah, it probably works on PT Python, but I haven't. I haven't tried it. Mm. Cool. All right. Now, another thing that you can do a lot with is you sort of taking it up to the next level is the console. Tell us about this. Yeah. So the um, console class gives you more kind of advanced features. There's more options, more things to specify. Uh, typically, you'd have a single console per project. You'd keep it in your like um, top level object or, or as a global that has a print method. And there's also some other methods like there's a log method. And there's a whole bunch of features you can do when you construct the, the console. Things like um, exporting the output to HTML. Okay, um, that's, nice. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. So one of the things you can do with the console, for example, is you can set a style on your, say, console.print and set some styles. Mm-hmm. And then it'll come out in that style as opposed to embedding this console markup into the text itself, right? Yeah. So sometimes you might not want the console markup, especially if there's... um. Are going to be square brackets in the output. You don't want them to be confused with right, or or even if um, you're receiving a string and you just need to put it on the screen, but you yeah. you haven't generated the string or it, it was generated by some other part of the app. Right, like here's a message. I need to log mm-hmm. this that I got. You don't exactly. want to parse the string to try to put text into it or more text, right? Yeah, exactly. So you can um, disable the highlighting, and you know, you can still set a, a style globally for for that string if you want it in red or or cyan, whatever, you can still get that, but but you can disable the uh, console markup. Nice. And then we have the inspect, rich inspect. What is this one? This is my favorite function in rich, and it, it came uh, quite late. Um, but what it does is you call it with any object, and it'll inspect that object, and it'll pull out doc strings, and it'll pull out methods, and then it'll render it in, a, in quite a nice little little table that's quite easy to read. And I find this terrific for exploring APIs. Sometimes it's better than documentation. You know, if you get an object back from an API, you don't quite know what methods it supports. You just call rich.inspect. I could have typed something like dir my, you know, print yeah. dir my my object. And I get a, a list of dictionary objects mm. which are representing, you know, fields and methods and whatnot. Exactly, but they're all yeah. jammed together. There's no like help. This is fantastic. So it's like a almost a table version of that with a, a, a one line of help next yeah. to it, right? Yeah. So it, it does the same kind of thing as mm. dir or help. But way, way nicer, yeah. M- makes it easier, easier to read. There's also two things. I see there's a block of stuff that has, it's like a list of, I guess those are field names, and then it has the methods. Mm-hmm. It's, it's sort of called out separately as well. So you're like, these are the fields or properties, and or these are the fields, and then here's the probably methods and properties, right? That's right, yeah. So it, it basically shows you the, the signature of all the methods and the first line um, of the doc string. 
there's an option to show you the, the full details, but I, I find just that abbreviated information is generally as much as I need. Oh, this is fantastic. Mm. So it says things like copy equals def copy bracket bracket. Would it say async def if it was an async method or what's the... What what is that? What's the alternative of def there? Is it just to show that it's a method? That's just to show it's a method. That's a good point about async. I don't think it does do async def, and that's a good idea. It'd be pretty dope to throw in a async def or maybe a property if it's a, mm. a getter method, right? Or You're like right. That. Yeah, I think they probably yeah. should do that. It should inspect the method and see whether it's um async, and then emphasize that. Yeah, it's a good idea. Yeah. Well, yeah, sure. We'll open a PR on that podcast here. No problem. Cool. <laughs> All right. So those are ones that you've got like graphics calling them out as some of the really main things. There's so much happening here. That's that's amazing. But like Waylon out in the live stream points out, like mention rich tracebacks. Mm. <laughs> They're so good. Um, I have um, my iPython automatically start up with that. Mm. And yeah, you've got a whole section down here under the library of things like logging, log handlers, progress bars, status, tree views, like crazy, you have, mm. you have tree views in the terminal that can expand and collapse with the mouse. You know, there's mm. there's more going on here than just the stuff we've touched on, right? There's a bunch of cool features. There's a lot going on, yeah. Well, um, Rich will render the tree view. Um, it's textual, which provides the um, collapsing and and navigation features, yeah. Ah, uh, got it, got it, got it. Okay, so we'll, we'll get to the, the interactive bits. But yeah, so I can still draw a tree view even with like little, uh, your example here, you've got emoji icons for say folders and files. And then even mm. in the file, you've got an embedded syntax highlighted bit of code that comes out of one of the files and a markdown yeah. with some of the markdown rendered as rich markdown. Yeah. Just so as a markdown, like not, not rich yeah. the library, but like just colorized yeah. and formatted. Yeah. So it goes back to the um, composability of rich, rich um, objects, and um, I call them renderables, but you can use them in, in various contexts. So in, in here, you can set a renderable per node on the tree. So you can like do what we've done here, add a, add a table next to a, a tree item or some syntax highlighting or render some markdown. It doesn't really matter to rich what you ask it to render. It can just do it in various contexts. Yeah, very cool. Okay, so we've got the tree, which is amazing. Uh, let's, you know, since Waylon mentioned it, let's talk tracebacks real quick. I mean, uh, one of the things that really is tricky with the tracebacks is, you know, you a lot of times you've got to go to, to like one end of them to see sort of the error and then like there's no color. Like there's just a lot of stuff dropping in there. Mm. You, maybe sometimes it'll show the variable values, but you know, not really. you got to kind of pull them out, right? Things like that. Mm. And what you get here is... It's ridiculous. First of all, what do I do to make this happen with the beautiful tracebacks? You can do from rich import traceback, uh, traceback dot install. All good. Yeah. From then on, if you don't if you don't handle an exception, it'll be printed with rich, or you can explicitly. All right. There's the second thing I got. to just put on all my apps. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's a piece of cake to add. So yeah, it's easy to do. Yeah. So tell me what people who are, are not seeing this necessarily on the screen, like what is this this alternative traceback style look like here? Okay. So it's um it actually follows much the same format as a regular Python traceback. It's just underneath the the file, um, you'll see some syntax highlighted code showing you that the line where the the exception happened for each frame and. Underneath each um, block of code, it'll show you the, the locals at that point in the frame so you can see the local variables. Right. And these are called out in a nice table with a nice formatting that we've already talked about. So kind of as if you had done print, you know, from rich import print and then printed out the locals into a table. Yeah. And it's all, it's all pretty printed. So it's quite easy to read. I find with regular Python tracebacks is it it's, takes quite a bit of skill to read them, yeah. um, particularly for beginners and even for intermediates. You've got to 
sit down and analyze the trace packs, but I'm hoping with this, this just kind of presents the information in a more readable way and you can like um, get more of the context of the error. Yeah, I think this is fantastic. This is definitely super interesting. I guess one more thing here to really dive into, uh, maybe two, two. I think the log handler is, is really neat, so people should check that out. But uh, maybe tables. I know it's mm. it doesn't sound as appealing and amazing as necessarily as what we've been talking about, but if I want to have a nice formatted table in a text output, I basically just don't do that. I'm like, that is way too much work. Yeah, yeah. To worry about this, right? But with using Rich here, you can have almost HTML level formatting styles, you know, borders on, border off, just header, uh, content divider, like alternating rows, like I said, uh, right align, left align. There's all sorts of amazing stuff mm. here. Tell us about the tables. I didn't realize how hard tables would be to implement when I started it or might not have. <laughs> <laughs> you might not have done it, huh? Tables are quite complicated because um, you've got to calculate out optimal column widths and that gets really complicated when you've got text which can, can wrap and other like renderables that can go in those cells. Um, it does work quite yeah. nicely now and it can handle just about anything you can throw at it and it will wow. scale the table nicely and elegantly if, if it doesn't fit into the, the you know, the width of the terminal. And it's also quite a good layout tool. You can switch the borders off entirely and then use it to lay out other things. You know, one thing that comes to mind right away is I think of some of the nice progress bar type things for the terminal, like TQDM mm. and stuff. And they're great, but I'm always like the stuff on the right, it'll have like what it's doing and then it'll have a progress bar and then it'll have maybe, you know, how fast is it operating or how much time has it got to go or something. And those are always kind of like doing like a little pulsing, like, cause the thing on the right mm. is always changing and they don't never quite yeah. line up. You could just, you could do that here, but have a table and put the progress bar in one of the center fill bits, right? Yeah. So you can do lots of things regarding alignment to fit everything together. And like mm -hmm. you said, stop that effect where bits of content will flicker because they're, they're using less characters because it goes from 100 and into 99. And then yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, it's a very good um, layout tool and also just a good way of presenting tabular information, which is kind of what it was designed for. Yeah. It is a mm. table, right? <laughs> 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 All right. So last one. I've got some content and probably a most common way that it's in a lightweight format, but you want to turn it into something full featured in terms of text is Markdown, right? So mm -hmm. for example, the Python Bytes website is almost like entire, like the vast majority of the content there is Markdown, Talk Python training, like all mm -hmm. the stuff we've got, the CMS that we built in the back end, it's all Markdown. Rich has Markdown support too, right? That's right. Yeah. There's a Markdown class. Um, basically, I took Common Mark Library, which um, parses the Markdown. Okay. And I, I substituted the the bits which were generating HTML with something which generates rich output. And it turns out there's a, there's a reasonable job of things like headers and does the style just fine. And there's also syntax highlighting. It'll actually call out to the syntax highlighting code. So if you've got yeah. um, a Python code block, it'll actually highlight that Python code block. Yeah, you have support for inline code with the backtick thing, backtick, yeah. and the blocks of code, which are the triple backslashes or triple backticks. Or yeah. four spaces or whatever. Yeah. So it supports um, much of the basic common mark syntax and does a reasonable job of rendering. It won't look quite as good as a web browser, but it, it, I find it quite readable. But it's in the terminal and it's I didn't have terminal, to do anything yeah. to get it there, right? Yeah. So that's pretty fantastic. Mm. Yeah. Really, really nice. All right. So I think this is probably 
as much of the the details of rich we want to dive into in terms of like the feature set and stuff but you know there's still more to go uh, there's a lot of a lot to love out of this library which is great maybe just give us a sense of the internals like how did you make this happen how do you make it work is this curses to the nth degree or what what's happening there's no curses there's a layer which what makes most of it work where i render everything into and that's a, a list of what i call segments and a segment consists of a bit of text plus a style and the thing about having that intermediate layer before you actually render to the terminal is you can uh, manipulate a bit manipulate it afterwards so i can apply color and style and then do do um word wrapping and then i can render it onto the terminal mm-hmm. so everything is is built on that and and uh and a protocol. So objects can add a couple of methods. They can add a, a Dunder Rich or a Dunder Rich console method. Then they can themselves be renderable. So you can print your own custom objects and that will use that intermediate layer of segments to render everything onto the terminal. Nice. Okay. Yeah, it sounds like a really good separation. And you could probably also, if you need to do something specific for one platform versus another, uh, that layer you can make a decision on how to do that without that's exactly it yeah having to put it all over the place right yeah so i render onto the segments and that's um platform independent and um, but there's another bit of code which will convert those segments um onto the appropriate format of the platform and the platform might be the number of colors that's supported by terminals because um some will support 16.7 million colors some will will support 256 and then some will support 16. Yeah. But because of that intermediate layer, um, I can make sure that no matter what you write, uh, we'll, we'll work on, on the terminal on the given platform. Yeah. Fantastic. One of the things I do want to circle back to is this idea of you're taking a year off to continue to work on this project to grow it even further and yeah. it already has and, and mm. also do other things in this general realm. And so there's a couple of ways in which people can support you, right? If you're a large bank that depends on this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the good options is Tidelift, right? People can get a Tidelift subscription mm-hmm. for Rich, and that gives, what, is, what do they get with that? So I don't think you get a, a subscription for Rich per se, but you can get a Tidelift subscription. I see, And okay. uh, that means that that money is divided uh, amongst all the open source projects that you use that are signed up to to Tidelift. In return, you, you get uh, more responsive developers and and uh, developers which will handle like security issues, et cetera. It takes the risk out of open source yeah. code for, for big organizations because there is a little bit of risk in the, um, if you're relying on someone's hobby project, are they going to be around in six months to your time? Yeah, So um, absolutely. Tidelift ensures that developers will be around uh, in the future to to support your, your code going forward. Absolutely. The other one is right up at the top here, I could click sponsor yep. and then... And come over here. Also, that pulls up a link to the external funding for uh, Tidelift. Mm. But I can hit sponsor. Do you have like uh, plans or anything like that? I know some some projects have, you know, there's like a gold sponsor and here's just a sort of keep it going sponsor. Yeah. Do you have anything like that or is it just, you know, what people want? GitHub sponsor supports tiers. So depending on how much you want to sponsor, I will help you with your, with your projects. Um, I'm always happy to help people actually open source projects. Always happy to do that. But... For the larger tiers, I will do code reviews or I will help you with your project on a more more formal basis. I might even write code for you. It's up to what you want to sponsor. If you just want to say thanks, that's very much appreciated. You know, if I've solved if I've fixed a bug for you and just want to say thanks, then that's fantastic. But if if you're a company which is benefiting from the work that I do or the work that other 
open source developers do, you can sponsor a bit more to ensure that it keeps the the work going. Right on. Yeah, and I encourage people if they're depending heavily upon this, you know, help you keep going strong, especially as you're transitioning to just working on this. Mm. So yeah, also uh, notice someone's forked it since we even pulled it up here. How cool! So the other the next step that maybe you would would take this. You talked about not wanting to add too many insane features to Rich mm-hmm. to keep growing that, right? Keep it focused on target. Is you also have this project called Textual. Yep. Textual is a TUI. We've all heard of a GUI, but a mm-hmm. TUI is a text user interface instead of a graphical user interface, right? Yeah, I think it's a bit of a misnomer. I mean, because the interface mm-hmm. is constructed with text, granted, but it's still a graphical thing you're looking at. Yeah, yeah. I think of it as a GUI, but with kind of like a, a fairly retro aesthetic. Yeah. It does have a bit of a retro aesthetic. I would say maybe if you built something with like Colorama or something, that would be maybe more Tui esque, right? Where there's, whereas mm. you look at what you build with Textual, it it's got scroll bars, it's got banners, it's got icons. <laughs> it's yeah, it's closer by far. Looks a bit more, a bit more graphical. Yeah, yeah. So tell us about Textual and and why not just more features on Rich. Rich has some kind of dynamic features. Um, there are progress bars and they're updating live dashboards and I've been asked quite quite a lot if I could add keyboard support and, and mouse support and I've resisted for quite a while because I want to keep the, the focus of Rich onto just generating mostly static output mm-hmm. um, but then, then I saw a project called um, GHTOP which is kind of like HTOP but it would take information from the, the GitHub API and it would show you like real-time events and they used, uh, oh, there we go. And they yeah, used fantastic. Rich for that. And when I saw that, oh, okay. I realized, oh, I've got to do this. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of potential there. And I put it off a little bit, but then then I started on it. And I kind of realized that, yeah, there's quite a lot you can do with a terminal these days. This is one of the things that blew my mind. Maybe, uh, you know, give us a sense of, I'm trying to pull a particular picture. Maybe this is just one I could sort of leave on the screen. But one of the things I remember from my early days of, of GUI type development is you know, how do you resize stuff on the screen, right? So I want to put something where like the, the main window is here, but then I want the status bar thing, but I want it to stick to the bottom. Mm. And then I want some other stuff on the left. And it sounds like that would be pretty tricky to just dynamically try to generate with rich. But with textual, you can say like this thing docks to the left and this docks to the yeah. bottom and here this fills the main content. And then those bits in the middle, are those basically rendered either more of these containers and these widgets, or is that Rich directly? Or tell, give people a sense of like what they build with this. So um, Rich does the, the rendering. Rich is responsible for getting stuff onto the screen, but um, Textual handles the dynamic stuff. Um, at the most atomic layer, there's uh, something called a widget. And a widget is almost like a software component in itself. It's built on AsyncIO. So each widget has its own AsyncIO task and it's constantly processing, processing events. And Textual can will change the size of that and change the layout in response to resizing the, the terminal. And you can tell it how the, ter- the widgets fit together within the given dimensions of, of the terminal. Right. So you've got like the, the layout elements that, that handle docking yeah. and whatnot. Yeah. 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 Very cool. So uh, one of the examples you have on the Textual README is building one of these widgets. So you just create a class, it drives from widget. Mm-hmm. Here you have a, a hover example, and it has a way to render itself. And then it very much like traditional, 
you know, I'm thinking of building like VB6 apps or Windows Forms apps, like these traditional ones where you have drag and drop widgets. Mm. They have these events, right? And one of the events here, you wouldn't think of this as a terminal thing. We've got like, you know, on mouse, <laughs> you know, mm. on enter, on leave and, you know, yeah. mouse over and, and things like that, right? Like those are regular UI types of interactions that you would not expect to see in a text-based app, right? Yeah. That's fantastic. It's based partially on my knowledge of writing desktop applications, which is quite old now. Mm. Well, what did you write them in? WX widgets mostly. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. it's, a, it's a C++ framework. I think it's, it's got um, a Python layer. Yeah, um, yeah. There's WX Python. I, I think yeah. that might be the next, the, the Python wrapper. That's right. Yeah. But in the last 10 years, I haven't done any desktop applications. I've been working mostly in the web. So it's mostly influenced by web development with modern frameworks, um, particularly Vue, right. which I've used yeah. a few times. Vue's nice, yeah. Vue's very nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to replicate some of the best features, I think, of Vue into the terminal. I'm surprised how well some of these features translate. Yeah, this is incredible. It really does build these interactive things. Now, another thing to talk about is how do you control the look and feel, right? Like the way you might do it in Rich is you might have one of these console markups or markdown, or you could use a console and set a style. But mm-hmm. if you're inspired by the web, you know, like dot main container hash thing I mm. want to style, right? Like it's some sort of CSS selector, right? Yeah. So you've, you've read my mind. I'm, I've been last few days working on CSS okay. that is going to work very much like. Is it actual CSS or CSS-like stuff? Like what do you have in mind here? It's probably not actual CSS. A lot of the stuff just wouldn't apply yeah, to the terminal, sense, sure. but essentially it's the selectors. So um, I will have selectors um, where you can select um, an ID uh, and then a child with a with a class name, etc. Yeah, I mean that's basically what I was thinking when I was saying real CSS, right? Like, is it? Right. Will I say? Will I say like hash container dot children mm-hmm. type, and I would write that, or is it like not it's exactly, exactly that, but exactly like it's, that? Yeah. Oh, the beautiful. only thing that differs is the. I don't know what you call them. The bit that goes inside the curly brackets, the actual rules, uh, they will be different. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they render different different things, but very much like CSS. If you come from the web, you see this, you'll be very much at home. Nice. I could probably even use less and transpile that down to CSS and then put the odds. Yeah, maybe. Who knows? Yeah, m- maybe. I-, I was thinking, should I should I just do CSS, which is hard enough in itself, or, or should I try to implement less or, or SAS yeah. or, or one of these things? And um well, I'm going to try CSS, first of all. <laughs> if you get it working with CSS, then you probably can get the less compiler to generate the right CSS out of it somehow. Yeah, maybe. But that, that, actually, yeah. one of the worst things, I think, of JavaScript and web app development is, is all those preprocessors. I know. And I, I'm, I'm 100% with you. Yeah. When you've got to run all these tasks and all these CLI things just to get it so you can start using your app, it's like... There's something kind of broken about this. Can I just yeah. include a file here and go? Like it's it's gotten so complicated that JavaScript is one of the more complicated ways to write code rather than one of the simplest, I think. Exactly. Days. Yeah. There was there was a time where front end development was, was seen as is kind of like um the baby brother of like real development. Mm-hmm. You and your cute jQuery. <laughs> That's not true anymore. I don't think it's been true for a while. I think um, no, it hasn't. Front end development requires just the same type of thinking as as backends. You've got to organize all these different processes together and mental models. And it's actually more complicated because there's 
so much going on. There's so many little things you've got to remember. Yeah. Mm. You're taking so much of like modern software development and squishing it down to this narrow little bit that is like run it in JavaScript on the browser. Right? Yeah. Like it's kind of got to fit into this historically what used to be like a narrow focused environment. Mm -hmm. And now it's definitely not. Yeah. So I'm trying to take what I think are the good things about front end development and apply them mm -hmm. to terminal and hopefully yeah. leave out the things which I don't like so much. Yeah, that sounds great. Mm. So maybe for this one, I think what people should probably do is they should check out the examples, right? The examples from Textual, mm -hmm. they can clone the repo and just run these and it's super easy. There's also a way to see them, I guess, on the developer video log here. Are these you doing these videos here? Um, That's me. Yeah. Just using um, a short demo of uh, each. Nice. This is my ad apparently I'm getting now. I'm All right. uh, we'll not play that. And <laughs> <laughs> go YouTube. All right. Mm. So yeah, but people can go and check these out because I think seeing it in action is really what you need to appreciate textual. Mm. And it can demonstrate the features which um textual can do, which I don't see in other 2E frameworks. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking particularly of animation. Yeah, I was just thinking like the CSS easing functions and those types of animations, yeah. Yeah, I, I was surprised that how well that worked. I was animating things at 60 frames a second and it can go up to 120 frames per second. Terminals these days, that they're built on the same technology as video games. They use um, hardware accelerated graphics under the hood, so they wow. can actually render terminal updates very, very quickly. I don't think people have taken advantage of that. How long until someone re-implements Doom on Rich or on <laughs> Texture? I'm sure it's possible. You could render it and then, you know, uh, render it onto text. I don't know how you do it, but various ways of rendering images. So in theory, you could put Doom in the middle of a, a text I would say start with really, really small fonts and a big terminal window so you get higher resolution. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you've got the color, you've got the emojis. I bet you could make it happen. Mm. Awesome. All right, well, we're getting pretty short on time here, Will. Anything else you want to um, sort of throw in about textual or even rich before we wrap it up. Just to say that I like getting feedback and input. So if you have any suggestions, uh, jump onto textual discussion board, or if you find any bugs, let me know or connect with me on Twitter and I'm happy to talk about these things. Yeah, fantastic. Also want to give a shout out to your other, one of your other projects real quick. Great, yeah. So this is um, PalFast System. I've been working on that for well over 10 years now. Um, I've handed it over to some very talented developers, but um, essentially the idea is that there's um, abstraction layer for file systems. So you, the same code can write to your disk drive or an FTP server or, or a zip file and just all works exactly the same way. Nice. Do you have uh, like cloud format support like S3 and things like uh, that? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So there's, there's an S3 uh, version and there's a Google Cloud version and there's, there's dozens of other implementations. Any database stuff? Can I like treat a table as a directory or something like that? I wouldn't be surprised if there is. I, I don't I don't know of any off the top of my head, but some people mm -hmm. have done some yeah. quite creative things where they've made something which is not a file system uh, look like a file system. Oh, look at this. Dropbox FS. Yep. Dropbox as a file system. Okay. That's pretty amazing. Mm. Okay, here's the index of file systems. Let's see. We've got yeah. application data, FTP, in memory. Oh, that's pretty slick. So you can read and write files, like, say, for tests and not care. Or temp, temp files, maybe. Temp files would be fantastic, right? Yeah. So you can use it temp files, and like you said, for, for testing. So you can write it into memory without bothering to write it onto your hard drive. Okay. The multi-file system. So you could multiplex reads and writes. That's pretty killer. Yeah, that, that's more, I remember correctly, 
uh, you can layer several file systems. So mm. you could have one to write and then several to read. And depending on where the file is, it'll just make it appear like a, a single file system. Yeah, a lot of neat stuff here. So you know, people, they got a lot of file reading and writing to do. They can check that out. Also, I want to give a quick shout out. I saw Paul Everett on the live stream out there. So Paul and you um, dove inside in a more visual way into textual, right? So I'll link yep. to a live stream you all did over there together. Great, cool. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Mm. All right. Well, I think that pretty much wraps it up. So I'll give you the final two questions before we get out of here, though. So, uh, well, if you're going to write some Python code, what editor do you use these days? Um, I use VS Code. I've used that for quite a while. Quite happy with it, but I do try other editors from time to time. Nice. And then in addition to pip install rich and pip install textual, any other packages out there you want to give a shout out to that you think could use some eyeballs and some attention anything that's impressed you lately i'm drawing a blank there's so many it is hard to choose isn't it <laughs> there's a project i saw can I mention one that uses rich it was quite cool of course um, yeah absolutely. it's called um object explorer it's a, a terminal user interface but it's not i think it's obj explorer which is quite nice you could create an you explore a python object and you can navigate into it in a, in a visual way and it will show you the the attributes, et cetera. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, that sounds really fun. Is, is yeah. this for like in-memory Python objects or database objects or what? what is it? Oh, in-memory Python objects. So I think it's like uh-huh. a, a debugging tool. It's, it's kind of like, it's a bit like rich.inspect, but right, it's more visual. It. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, fantastic. We'll have to link to that one. Mm-hmm. All right, Will. So thank you for being here. This has been really great. Congratulations on both of these projects and all the momentum you've gotten. Thank you. Final call to action, people want to check out richer textual maybe want to support you whatever else you want to give a final shout out for or call to action before we call it a show just um connect with me on twitter uh, my handle is at will mcgoogan say hi i'm happy to uh talk on twitter right on mm-hmm. be sure to put the link in the show notes mm-hmm. thanks for being thank here you. will thank you it's been great yeah bye bye this has been another episode of talk python to me our guest on this episode was will mcgoogan and it's been brought to you by Shortcut and us over at TalkPython Training. And the transcripts are brought to you by Assembly AI. Choose Shortcut, formerly Clubhouse IO, for tracking all of your project's work. Because you shouldn't have to project manage your project management. Visit talkpython.fm shortcut. Do you need a great automatic speech-to-text API? Get human-level accuracy in just a few lines of code. Visit talkpython.fm assemblyai. Want to level up your Python? We have one of the largest catalogs of Python video courses over at TalkPython. Our content ranges from true beginners to deeply advanced topics like memory and async. And best of all, there's not a subscription in sight. Check it out for yourself at training.talkpython.fm. Be sure to subscribe to the show, open your favorite podcast app, and search for Python. We should be right at the top. You can also find the iTunes feed at slash iTunes, the Google Play feed at slash play, and the direct RSS feed at slash RSS on talkpython.fm. We're live streaming most of our recordings these days. If you want to be part of the show and have your comments featured on the air, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel at talkpython.fm slash YouTube. This is your host, Michael Kennedy. Thanks so much for listening. I really appreciate it. Now get out there and write some Python code. (laughs) 